Have you ever really dug into your tax return and wondered where all the various different forms and schedules are that make up that tax return? Well, I'm about to walk through them in this, the 13th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Welcome, everybody. We got a uh, nerdy one today. Well, who am I kidding? All, all these episodes are nerdy. But no, th- th- this one's a little different. I want to go through the various parts of a tax return. Now, I won't be able to touch on everything because there's infinite combinations of numbers and forms and schedules that a, that a tax return may have. But I want to at least hit on the common ones that you all are likely to see or, or at least see some of them. Um, so I don't want to start by saying what is a tax return. I, I assume most of you know, but I'll just sum it up super super briefly. Basically, it's the form that we as U.S. citizens and even non-citizens, if you live here and have income here, are, are required to file with the government every year to report all of our income. Uh, to ultimately say how much tax we uh, we owe for the year, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. I could probably do a different episode on, on digging into that more. But so t- today, I just want to focus on the the tax return itself, the form itself, and the various parts and addendums and schedules and attachments that uh, that all make up that thing. Next week's episode, I will talk about how to actually do and file your tax return, or more likely, in many cases. Um, not even many cases, I guess, but how how to help find a tax return preparer. There's a surprisingly low bar for uh, what it takes to be to become a paid tax return preparer. So I'll give you some some tips next week for how to screen out the uh, the fly by night shops and hopefully find someone who actually knows what they're doing. Because again, it's a surprisingly low hurdle to uh, get yourself into the business of doing tax returns for money. So this week's show, I, I struggled with what to call it. I didn't want to just say, what is a tax return or understanding a tax return? But that, that was kind of the thought I had in my head. But I figured, let, let me get a little more specific with the titling. So I decided to call it, what are all the forms and tax returns? Um, just to hopefully pique your interest for those of you that already know what a tax return is, but want a little more knowledge about the specifics of the, the various pieces of that. Um, now, th- as I mentioned before, this episode won't hit on all of the forms. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, uh, of different forms that, that can make up a tax return. Now, this episode is only about um, federal tax returns, not state. So depending what state you live in and if your state has income tax, which most most states do, uh, there's a whole separate can of worms there. Where, you know, Their forms could be called something different. They could look something different. There's going to be different sources for where to find that information. And further today, I'll only be talking about individual tax returns. So you as a person having to file an income tax return. There's different forms and processes for corporations that have to file returns or trusts and estates that have to file returns. This is just federal, individual U.S. income tax returns today. Now, as I mentioned, there's hundreds, if not thousands of forms. I I think for federal individual returns, it's probably only hundreds that ultimately apply, not the full suite of thousands. Again, some of those will apply to just corporations or trusts. There, there is a link I'll have in the notes to the IRS has a pretty slick search tool where you can find all of the uh, available IRS tax forms out there. So if you're looking for something in particular, you can go there to find it or, or just simply Google. Google's amazingly good at, um, you know, just search like IRS form 1040 or whatever form you're looking for. And it, it'll pop up, not just the form itself. Most likely you'll get a, a quick link to the instructions to that form. 
All right, so let's get into it. Now, um, before I actually start talking about the specific forms in a tax return, now, to be fair, uh, I realize this is something that would probably be better suited visually, because it's kind of hard to, to explain all these numbers and things uh, through this audio format. So I do have a couple of videos you'll find helpful. Um, one, there's another one, uh, a link in the notes I'll put in. I recently did a hour plus long walkthrough in my Facebook group. I did a live video called Understanding a Retiree's Tax Return. I had a real live sample. Well, I mean, it wasn't real. It was for George and Wheezy Jefferson, you know, hypothetical couple. I did a tax return for them showing the actual forms, the actual returns and what it looks like. Um, so you can find a, a link to that video replay in the show notes. And I'll post a link to the PDF of the return I actually used in that video. So you can download that and, uh, and pick through that at, at your leisure. So just backing it up a little bit, it helps, uh, to, especially if you don't do your own taxes, it helps to have a basic understanding of what the U.S. personal income tax structure and system is, because that that helps explain why the forms are how they are, why they're so large, so unwieldy, why there's so many forms involved, et cetera. Um, I, I have another video that'll help complement this on YouTube. Uh, you'll see a, a link in the notes called Overview of Federal Income Taxation. It's a couple years old at this point, but still largely the same gist. I mean, some of the specific dollar amounts and tax brackets have, have changed a little, um, but the, the overall structure is just the same now as it was then. So watch that to further uh, supplement what I'm about to say, but uh, it's helpful to have a basic understanding of how that US federal income tax system works. So at a super high level, all by default, all items of income are assumed to be taxable unless they're specifically carved out by the US tax code. So for example, proceeds you get from life insurance, you know, someone you know uh, dies, unfortunately, had life insurance, you get paid out that 500,000 bucks, million bucks, whatever, of death benefit from that life insurance proceeds, that's all completely tax-free. That doesn't even show up on your tax return. So that's one example of an item of income that is specifically excluded from taxation in the U.S. tax code. So again, by default, all items of income are, are assumed to be included as taxable, unless they're specifically not. So you add up all of your sources of gross income and things are, you know, common things like wages and interest from bank accounts and dividends from stocks, uh, distributions from IRAs, capital gains from selling uh, securities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. So you add up all these things, these are all gross income. And that that's your, uh, let's just call it total gross income from now. Against that, there's certain adjustments, uh, things you can deduct. So for example, if you make a contribution to a traditional IRA or a health savings account, you can get a current year tax deduction for that. So the amount of the contribution can reduce your gross income. Or if you're a teacher, for example, you can deduct up to $250 per year of uh, basically things you bought for the classroom that you weren't reimbursed for. So educator expenses, you know, that $250 will help reduce what the rest of your gross income otherwise was. So you add up all these adjustments and, you know, to your gross income, and that gets you your quote unquote adjusted gross income. But we don't stop there. Then you are allowed to, and I'm oversimplifying this whole process, obviously, but I'm just sort of summing up the, the skinny of how U.S. income tax works. So you have your adjusted gross income. And then against that, you are allowed to, to deduct or, or subtract the greater of two things. One is what's called a standard deduction. So it's just a lump sum you know, reduction that the, the uh, IRS allows you to take. And for a married couple, I forget this year, it's roughly 25,000 bucks for a married couple, roughly half of that for a single person. And then there's a little more if you're over 65 or disabled, but we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, 
so right off the bat, everyone's allowed to, you know, slice right off the top, either 25 grand or, you know, ha- half of that roughly from, uh, from your gross income. Or you can add up itemized deductions. And itemized deductions are, there's a, there's a host of a few different things you can tabulate. And if the sum of those is larger than your standard deduction, well, then you're allowed to reduce your adjust, adjusted gross income by your itemized deduction. So the main examples of itemized deductions are state and local taxes. So state income taxes you pay or local property taxes you have to pay, you can add those up to some extent. They're capped at 10 grand per return, unfortunately. Uh, mortgage interest. If you have a mortgage against your primary residence, the interest you pay on that could be deductible. Or medical expenses. Now, if you have a lot of unreimbursed medical expenses, you may be able to deduct some of them, but you can only potentially deduct expenses that exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. And this stuff is all subject to change, so don't get too hung up on these numbers. That's why even like the standard deductions, I just kind of glossed over and said it's roughly 25 grand for married folks and roughly half of that for single. These amounts change every year. Um, Same thing with medical expenses. This year you can deduct, like I said, over 7.5% of your adjusted gross income, but that 7.5% figure has been different in the past, has been 10%. So who knows? This stuff is all subject to change. So anyway, uh, bringing it back. So you have your adjusted gross income. You subtract from that your standard deduction or your your sum of your itemized deductions, whichever is largest, and that will call your taxable income. But we're not done yet. You now run that taxable income through the tax brackets. Uh, and I won't get into too much detail here, but basically it's uh, it's this marginal system where the first X amount of dollars is taxed at 10%. The next Y amount of dollars is taxed at 12%. The next Z amount is taxed at 22%. And it's this graduated tiered structure, aka marginal income tax system. But it's not even that simple. So of your taxable income, some of it is taxed more favorably than those standard tax brackets and rates, specifically uh, dividends, certain dividends, qualified dividends. Uh, I won't get into the definition here because that's another rabbit hole. Or long-term capital gains. So if you own stocks or mutual funds or bonds in a regular brokerage account, you sell them at a gain and you held it for more than a year, that taxable gain is is taxed at a lower rate than your normal income tax brackets. So uh, where I'm going with this is that that taxable income figure, again, adjusted gross income minus your deductions is, is what I'm calling your taxable income. You run most, if not all of that, through your tax brackets, but some items get peeled out like qualified dividends and long-term capital gains, and those are taxed at uh, more favorable rates. So after you have this tax figure, then I'll call that your tentative tax amount. But wait, we're not done yet. You can So that that's on the surface, that's how much total tax obligation you have for the year. But there's things that can reduce that. There's things that are called tax credits. So there's something called a child tax credit. If you, if you have children under a certain age, and your income's below a certain level, you can get a credit, you know, potentially a few thousand bucks of credit per child. Uh, specific to the last couple of years or COVID stimulus payments, those are tax credits. So something like that can further reduce the tax obligation you otherwise have. Uh, taxes you pay to foreign countries because you had a mutual fund that had foreign stocks and paid dividends on those foreign stocks. You had some tax paid. You may not know it, but you, you ultimately paid some tax most likely. Um, to those foreign foreign countries on those dividends. So you'll get a credit. US will credit you for taxes you paid to foreign countries. So uh, all said and done, you you uh, subtract your tax credits from what your tax obligation would be. And, and that's it. That's your final tax obligation for the year. Now, depending how much tax you paid already throughout the year, either through like paycheck withholdings or withholdings from social security or pensions, uh, if you withheld more during the year than what your ultimate tax obligation is, you end up getting a refund. Or vice versa, if you did not withhold enough 
compared to what your ultimate tax obligation for, is for the year, that's when you end up owing something at the end of the year. In addition to making uh, withholdings of tax payments throughout the year, you can separately make estimated tax payments, which is you literally write a check or initiate a bank ACH transfer or something um, out of your account to the to the IRS, technically to the, the Department of Treasury. Uh, that's another form, another way to pay taxes separate from withholdings. I'll do an episode on that, tax withholdings versus estimated payments. That That's a real complicated, unnecessarily complicated subject for what it should be, but um, I'll save that for another day. So that's the basic uh, overview of the federal U.S. individual income tax structure. And again, I thought that was important to know before we dig into uh, the actual tax return forms, because that structure helps explain why the forms are laid out like they are. Okay, so here we go. Finally, the tax return forms. So the tax return form is called the 1040, you know, the, the numbers 1040. Uh, that's what everyone has to file. At least if you are required to file a return, that's what you have to file. Now, not everyone is required to file. So for example, if you truly have no income for the year and there's nothing on which you owe taxes, it's quite possible you don't have to file. Now, there could still be some cases where you do, like if you got certain prepaid tax credits throughout the year or whatever, then you may need to file to uh, reconcile those credits at the end of the year. But super simple, let's assume you just, I don't know, you're living off the grid, you had no wages, no nothing, you're just sitting around, no income, then yeah, you, you may not have to file a return at all. But let's assume you do. It's the, the 1040 is the tax return form. Now, if you're 65 or older, there's something called 1040 Senior, which is 1040-SR. It's functionally exactly the same as a 1040. It, it's only different in its visual, uh, you know, in its aesthetics. This 1040 SR came out a few years ago. I want to say 2018, maybe. I can be off by a year, give or take. Um, Well-intentioned, but but kind of unnecessary. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's like I said, identical to the 1040 in what's on it. Its content and structure and form is the same. It's just it's spaced out. It's a little larger. There, there's more white space on it. And, and the assumption was, well, people who are 65 or older uh, may not have such an easy time seeing such small font and small letters. So let's just space the form out for them so it's less visually cluttered and the font is larger. That's really it. So the 1040SR takes up a little, you know, I think it's uh, an extra two pages compared to the regular 1040, but it's functionally, mechanically the exact same thing. So don't sweat it too much if you see one versus the other. Um, if you're 65 or older, I think by default, you'll get the 1040 SR, but you can use the regular 1040 if you want. No harm, no foul. So the 1040 is the main page. If you look at it, you know, the, the, uh, from here on out, I'll, I'll be referring to just the 1040, not the 1040 SR. But again, they're, they're functionally the same thing. The 1040 is the tax return, and it's only two pages. But that doesn't mean the tax return is actually only two pages. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of supplemental forms and attachments that 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 go into that, that are uh, behind the scenes of the 1040. So a lot of things on the 1040, where you may only see one line item on the 1040, that line item gets fed from a separate sheet, and that separate sheet may be pages long and maybe dozens of its own individual inputs. Uh, so so very complicated, all said and done. But the main form is is, is technically only two pages. Now, there's the 1040, and then there's um, different quote-unquote schedules and quote-unquote forms. Now, functionally, you, you may not realize or appreciate the difference, and I don't think it ultimately matters, but technically, the way the tax return is structured, you can think of schedules kind of like attachments to, to other forms. So like the form 1040 is the main tax return. 
its various schedules or sort of like addendums or, or attachments to it. And then there's what's called forms, you know, with a capital F, forms. Forms still ultimately roll up into your 1040, but you can think of them as kind of like their own sort of standalone processes and calculations. They're, they're not functionally uh, uh, attachments or, or supplemental info. I don't know. I'm struggling to come up with the right words to call it. So maybe we should just drop it and, and, and forget I even med, uh, you know, said anything about distinguishing between forms and schedules. But there is technically a difference as far as you're concerned. It probably doesn't matter because they all just get bundled to the back of your return anyway. Um, and just a quick comment. So it was said a few years ago that some people wanted the U.S. tax system, you know, the tax returns to, to be done on a postcard. Uh, there are some political comments and sort of promises, if you want to call them that that the tax returns are too large, too unwieldy, which they are. I'm not, no one will dispute that. And so the, you know, the, uh, the promise, the political stance was that well, let, we're going to simplify it so you can get your tax return done on a postcard. It is not possible. Now, the tax return, the 1040, was shaved down in size. I think it went from two pages to, I want to say one page even, a few years ago as a result of this initiative. But it did not make doing a tax return any easier. All it meant was, because the tax code itself is thousands of pages, unless we completely rip up, revamp, and undo the US tax system as a whole, which is never gonna happen in our lifetimes. Um, you simply can't make a tax return that's only one page or only the size of a postcard. So in, in a half-baked attempt to try to put window dressing on it and say, yes, look, we, we, we shortened the tax return. Yeah, the 1040 was all condensed onto one page, I believe, a few years ago, but all that meant was all the stuff that was otherwise on the second page was just pulled off into other supplementary schedules. So it was no less work to do a tax return. Arguably, it was even more because there's all these additional forms and schedules. Um, but all said and done, yeah, you shortened the 1040 it, itself, but you did not save any work. You did not reduce any complexity. So it, it, that was all just a song and dance. Anyway, uh, moving on. So the main form again is the 1040. If you take a look at that, that that's the cover sheet that has uh, your name, your address, your social security numbers, names of your dependents, like your children, and then ultimately your uh, your signature. Now, if you are submitting your return, you're filing a paper copy, which I don't recommend anyone do, and I'll discuss discuss this more next week. Um, yes, you do have to physically sign your return when you mail it in. Practically speaking, uh, almost all of you listening, whether you do your returns yourself or have someone do them for you, your return is getting filed electronically, in which case there's a separate signature form. I think it's 8879. You don't sign your actual 1040. You instead sign the 8879. It's a one-page signature form saying, yes, I, I agree. I acknowledge my return. I sign off that, yes, it's accurate. And I uh, agree that uh, this return can get uh, e-filed is what it's called, you know, electronically filed. But that's the 1040. Uh, it, the 1040 itself, in addition to that basic info like name, social address, et cetera, and signature, uh, it, it does have on it some of the um, main areas of income and deductions and stuff. So, for example, your wages are on there, you know, right on that front page. And if you have multiple wages from different sources, they all get summed up and there's one lump sum number. Uh, you know, line one is going to be wages. Interest, interest from banks, uh, interest from from bonds you have. Dividends, dividends from stocks and mutual funds you own in a regular brokerage account, not a qualified account like an IRA or Roth IRA because there's no tax implications, um, no current year tax implications when you receive dividends on those. IRA distributions, pensions, annuities, social security benefits, uh, capital gains, uh, other income, and other income is one of these things that's pulled off. So let me, let me pause here and, and move on to that. 
So the 1040, again, will have some areas of income directly shown on it, and then others are pulled off, such as uh, Schedule 1. Let's start with that. So there's a few different numbered schedules you'll come across. Schedule 1 is called Additional Income and Adjustments to Income. So there's a couple dozen uh, extra items of income that are included on, on Schedule 1 and a couple dozen deductions from income. So some of the areas of income include are like hobby income, gambling, alimony, unemployment, uh, income from having a rental property, self-employment income, like you know small business income if you're a small business owner. Now, quick comment on alimony. If you, uh, if you receive alimony from a divorce decree entered prior to 2019, I think was a cutoff, that alimony you receive is federally taxable to you and federally tax deductible to the person who's paying it to you. Now, if you have a relatively new divorce, you, your divorce decree was signed or executed in 2019 or later, then alimony is not federally taxable to the recipient and it is not federally deductible to the payer. But if you do have a, a you know alimony from a pre-2019 divorce decree, then that will be taxable income to you if you're the recipient. So those are some of the few areas of additional income. And then some of the adjustments to income, which are uh, reductions to income, are things like I touched on before, making a contribution to an IRA or to an HSA. Or if you're self-employed, you can get a bit of a break on some of the self-employment taxes you have to pay. And self-employment taxes are uh, Medicare and Social Security taxes you pay on your self-employment income. So that's Schedule 1. So the additional items of income from Schedule 1, again, of which there's a couple dozen, those all get summed up on Schedule 1 and then dropped uh, as one, you know, one number onto the 1040. Then there's Schedule 2. Schedule 2 is additional taxes. So in addition to the regular uh, income tax or capital gains tax you have, you could have other taxes. So um, this doesn't really qualify for a lot of people now, but there's something called AMT or alternative minimum tax. This is a whole other can of worms that I won't get into much, um, but but this is basically a whole parallel tax system that uh, certain forms of income get preferential treatment under the regular 1040. And the AMT is a parallel tax system to uh, run that income through and to the extent the AMT tax is larger than the other normal 1040 tax and you have to pay the difference. You have to pay this, what's called AMT, alternative minimum tax. So I'll, I'll leave that there for now, but that's another form of tax you may have to tack on to your 1040. Uh, self-employment taxes, as I mentioned, if you are self-employed, you have to pay Medicare and social security tax. You have to include that into your uh, tax return as additional tax. Things like IRA penalties. If you make a premature withdrawal and you have to pay uh, tax on that and or the 10% early withdrawal penalty that gets calculated and, and thrown into the schedule two, which feeds into 1040 as additional tax. And something fairly common that you all may not notice uh, is happening. The net investment income tax or NIIT. Uh, long story short, this is an additional 3.8% flat tax on any forms of passive investment income you have like dividends, interest, or capital gains, or even rental income. Uh, if your your gross income is over a certain level, I forget the specifics. I think it's over two hundred fifty thousand if you're married, or two hundred if you're single. I could be wrong on that, but th th that's the gist. So that that's an additional form of tax that is uh, calculated, thrown into Schedule Two, which ultimately feeds into ten forty as an additional tax. Schedule Three, additional credits and payments. So there's some, uh, as I mentioned before, tax credits like the child tax credit, which is potentially a few thousand bucks per kid. 
foreign tax credit if you paid uh, tax to foreign you know foreign jurisdictions there's certain education credits the american opportunity credit or lifetime learning credit so if you're paying for college or even um, professional designations you know beyond college you could potentially get a tax credit for the expenses you have for those and other things like residential energy credits uh, if you put solar panels on your house or got a geothermal heat pump or something there's uh, credits you know uh, incentives credits for those I forget how many additional credits there are. Let's just assume it's another dozen or two. Um, so, you, so you can see where I'm going. Even though the 1040 itself is two pages, the, these underlying pages all have in them potentially dozens of additional items and calculations that ultimately roll up and feed into the 1040. Okay. Um, let's now move. So those are the numbered schedules, schedule uh, one, two, and three, which you are likely to see in, in your individual return. There's also lettered schedules. Start with A. A is what you use to calculate your itemized deductions. Again, deductible medical expenses, state and local property taxes, mortgage interest, charitable donations go into Schedule A. Sum those all up uh, if they're larger than your standard deduction, and then, then that's the deduction you're going to take, your itemized deduction on, on your return. So Schedule A is what calculates those. Schedule B just sums up all your interest and dividends received from banks and brokerage accounts and, and whatnot. Schedule C. Schedule C is a big one if you're self-employed. This is where you report the income, gross income from your business and all the various expenses, uh, you know, legal fees, supplies, depreciation, auto expense. If you use your car for your business, repairs, maintenance, um, list goes on. There, there's uh, roughly a couple dozen different expenses you can include. You could potentially deduct if you're self-employed. So that's Schedule C. Schedule D, capital gains and losses. Anytime you have an irregular taxable brokerage account, again, not IRAs, not Roth IRAs, not any other form of quote unquote qualified investment account, but a regular brokerage account. Schedule D is where you'll show all the gains and losses. Schedule E, rental and passive income. So if you have a rental property, you get some money from Schedule E is where you show the gross rents. And then you also show all the deductible expenses, uh, maintenance, you know, uh, HOA fees, interest on the mortgage you have, uh, property insurance, things like that, depreciation. Schedule SE, which stands for self-employment, that's what calculates the amount of self-employment tax you have if you are a self-employed person. And again, self-employment tax is simply uh, Social Security and Medicare tax that you have to pay into. Schedule F, as in Frank, not going to apply for the vast majority of you, but if you're a farmer, then maybe it will. It's the profit and loss from farming activities. And there's more than that, but these are just the common ones. Again, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and rarely F, unless you're a farmer, but um, th those are the main lettered schedules. So there's, we went over schedule one, two, three, the numbered schedules. We went over schedules A through E plus F, uh, which are the lettered schedules. And then there's numbered forms. Now this, this is where they really sort of sky's the limit with how many forms there are. I'm just gonna hit on the main ones you're, you're likely to see. And you can see these, most of these in action in that uh, sample tax return for George and Wheezy Jefferson that I went through that you'll see a link to. So here, here's some of the, the, the main ones. Form 8606, if you have ever made a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA, that non-deductible contribution is called a quote-unquote basis. Form 8606 is what tracks that basis year to year, such that if you ever take a distribution or do a Roth conversion, you need to have Form 8606 to calculate how much of the money coming out of your IRA is taxable versus not. Form 8889, this is what you have if you have a health savings account, whether you make a contribution to it or a distribution in any given year, it's Form 8889 is uh, is what's used. 
And for example, if you do get um, a deduction, you know, uh, for making your HSA contribution, Form 8889 is what shows the contribution. And then the deductible amount flows into Schedule 2, I think it is. Uh, or is it 1? No, Schedule 1, sorry. And then Schedule 1 flows into the 1040. So now you can start to see how this stuff all sort of one thing feeds another, which feeds another, which is what makes tax returns so complicated. Another big one, Schedule 8949, Sale and Disposition of Assets. Remember I said Schedule D is what summarizes your capital gains and losses. Well, each line item transaction belying those gains and losses is going to be reported on a, a Form 8949. Form 8962, for those of you who are on uh, Affordable Care Act insurance, aka Obamacare insurance, you may get uh, subsidies, you may get uh, credits, premium tax credits are called, you know, basically advanced payments of uh, tax credits you're eligible for for the year. Form 8962 is what you have to use every year to reconcile the amount of credits you got paid in advance versus what you were ultimately obligated or uh, entitled to. If you ended up getting more payments in advance than you're supposed to, you have to pay back the difference. If you got less credits in advance than you're supposed to, then then you'll get extra credits uh, when you file your tax return. And Form 8962 is is the form that calculates that. Form 8959, additional Medicare tax. So when when you work somewhere, you have to pay tax into the Medicare system. If you make over a certain level of total income, you have to pay an additional 0.9% Medicare tax. So high income, high wage earners, you'll you'll often see a form eighty nine fifty nine in your tax return. That's just what calculates and reconciles the amount of uh, total Medicare tax paid or supposed to be paid for the year. Form eighty nine sixty eight nine six zero is what calculates the net investment income tax that I mentioned before. Again, that's a flat three point eight percent tax on passive investment income if your gross income is over a certain level. Um, form eight 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 nine. Allocation of refund. So if you are entitled uh, to get a refund on your federal return, you could by default, you can you can get sent a check. You can have the, the uh, refund deposited directly into your checking account or something, or you can split it up across multiple accounts. If you, for whatever reason, you want that deposit to go to three different accounts, you can do that. You'll need to fill out form 8889 and you can uh, stipulate there which accounts to go to. Or if you want to buy an I-bond, an inflation bond, so this is relatively new. As inflation is high, there's more interest in something called I-bonds. You can use up to $5,000 of federal refund, uh, tax refund, you know, up to $5,000 per return. You can have up to $5,000 of refund be used to buy I-bonds, and it's Form 8889 is the form you would use to divert some of your refund, some or all of your refund to buy I-bonds. I think you can only buy them in $50 increments. So uh, unless your re- refund is exactly in denominations of 50, um, you, you're going to have some leftover change. You're, you're still going to have to receive as a refund. You, you can't use it all to buy I-bonds you know, to the penny. Form 2210, underpayment penalty. I'll, I'll discuss this more when I do my episode about uh, withholding taxes and estimated taxes. But if you don't withhold or, or pay enough estimated taxes throughout the year, you may have an underpayment penalty, which sounds harsh. It, it's really just interest. Um, it's not really, I mean, technically they call it a penalty, but it's frankly just interest on money you should have paid, but didn't throughout the year. So form 2210 is what's used to calculate that. And finally, I mentioned AMT, alternative minimum tax. Again, not going to apply for the vast, vast majority of you prior to the tax cuts and jobs act going into effect in 2018. A lot more people were impacted by the alternative minimum tax. Now for a variety of reasons, uh, most people aren't. 
There's a few things that, that will still likely trigger it, like if you have incentive stock options from your employer and you exercise some, you don't even have to sell the shares, but if you exercise some of those incentive stock options, there's a good chance you may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. And again, that's form 6251. So I'll, I'll stop there. There's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of individual forms and or schedules that may apply and, and I can't hit on them all, but hopefully this uh, covered the majority of them that, that you're likely to see. So if you ever wondered, what is this form? You know, What is this net, net investment income tax? Well, well, here you go. Hopefully today's episode kind of uh, explained things a little bit for you. So definitely check out the the videos I referenced, I, I did a whole hour plus walkthrough of a, of a real live Georgian Wheezy Jefferson tax return. You can find that video and a link to the PDF of the return itself in the show notes. Next week, definitely check out next week, uh, the special St. Patrick's Day edition. Uh, this, this next week's episode will come out. I'll discuss it's kind of how to do your return. I mean, those of you who already do your returns, you already know, obviously. But I'll talk briefly about if you do do your own return, how to file it or more of the episode most likely will be focused on how to find tax return preparers, including a few free options. There are a few different options to get uh, assistance in, in, in filing and submitting your return for free. So that's a wrap. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed this. If you did, please leave a nice, healthy, glowing, juicy, fantabulous review through whatever podcast platform you you find and listen to this. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you like the show, you'll definitely love my other forms of content, the Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement, YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and my newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all these things in uh, the notes to the show. That's it. Take care. I will see you again next week. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.